PM board bombs. Alright, alright, alright. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where board studying continues to be enjoyable. My name is Blake Briggs and this is a continuing series we have that helps prepare you for a life in emergency medicine. Not just for boards, but for life. We do both. For each 15-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for stems, stay for the content. You can sign up on our website for free updates and episodes, printed handouts, free review quizzes to test your knowledge on topics. You can go to our website at emboardbombs.com, and that is emboardbombs.com. My Twitter handle is at BlakeBriggsMD, and Dr. Usain will not be joining us today. He's actually conducting a Zoom seminar on how to make homemade kettle popcorn. It's actually National Popcorn Day later this week, for those of you that don't know. And we all know Iltifat is a sucker for artesian stuff, artisanal, you know, craft kind of thing. So with the current pandemic going on, he actually grows his own food in his backyard. I've heard rumors of him living off the grid, actually. So the kettle corn he is buying is apparently grown organically in rural Guatemala by a family of four who only use spring water that's bottled at the source from a volcano in Honduras. So he actually tweeted about this saying, hashtag non-GMO, hashtag healthy mind, healthy soul, hashtag maize means corn. Hashtag organic life, hashtag the new me. We'll have to ask him about that when he comes back. I'm sure it'll be an interesting discussion. So let's dive right into this question today. All right, so you have a 77-year-old male presenting to the ED with abdominal pain. So he states it started yesterday and has not had an appetite since then. You send the medical student to take a history and do an exam, and the student returns to tell you that the patient has no abdominal tenderness. Also does not smoke, does not drink alcohol, and has never had surgery. You ask the student if anything else came up during the interview. The student states the patient was wearing a t-shirt with an image of Bigfoot on it captioned, hashtag, I believe. (laughs) You go into the room and talk to the patient, and the patient talks about Sasquatch the Yeti and how the government is hiding this information from the public. So when you ask him actually about his history, he says, oh, Right, I forgot to tell your student, actually I do have hypertension, coronary artery disease, and type 2 diabetes. And then you ask anything else? He says, quote, well, now that I think about it, I also had two stents placed. Oh, and I had a femoral popliteal bypass surgery a few years ago. End quote. You tell him thanks for sharing, but then he interrupts you saying, oh, and I also smoke two packs per day. So you continue on with your exam. The exam is normal, despite the patient stating he is in a lot of pain. He is tachycardic, but otherwise vitals are normal. Throughout this interview, the student is in the corner of the room, incredulously staring down at the patient. Super, super shade that is being thrown. Which of the following is true regarding the suspected diagnosis? Choice A, a normal lactate can exclude the diagnosis. Choice B, abdominal pain out of proportion to physical exam is seen in the majority of cases. Choice C, the most common cause of this condition is thrombosis. And choice D, mortality often exceeds greater than 50%. Drum roll, please. The correct answer here is going to be choice D. Mortality often exceeds greater than 50%. We're not making this up. Ian Borbombs never lies. So this patient is displaying classic symptoms of mesenteric ischemia, and that's what we're going to cover today. So 
Intestinal ischemia, that's pretty much any process that causes reduced blood flow to the smaller or larger bowel. And there's a collection of these various syndromes. It's a long list. We're not going to get into it. Honestly, the more important thing to remember is that all these various syndromes are difficult diagnosis, just like Bigfoot, Yeti, or Sasquatch, but they can lead to catastrophic consequences. Overall, the incidence has been increased in the United States likely because of uh, increased age of a lot of our population as well as the increasing complexity of a lot of our uh, vascular patients. Think of the number of patients per year that are now getting stents, bypass procedures, peripheral artery disease, patients with diabetes living longer, et cetera, et cetera. So this complaint, I always think mesenteric ischemia is more like the abominable pain rather than abdominal pain. And a few years ago, uh, this is a classic Blake Briggs story. A few years ago, I was staying in a cabin in Georgia, actually, in the nearby town, there was a uh, Sasquatch museum. And so naturally, I paid money to go see it. And yes, I got a souvenir. And yes, it was totally worth every cent that I paid. It was a fantastic experience. So the visit there reminded me how similar mesenteric ischemia was <laughs> to the abominable snowman. And not, I'm not making any of this up. Uh, so there's a handout on our website on mesoteric ischemia and check it out for all the details on this condition. The podcast here is going to hammer home some of the symptoms you just need to know and some of the main diagnostic points, but it's not the thorough encompassing two page guy we made on mesenteric ischemia. So I encourage you to check it out. So let's hit some definitions. Let's set the record straight. There are different types of intestinal ischemia. All are bad. <laughs> check. <laughs> so mesenteric ischemia is small bowel ischemia. Colonic ischemia, well, that's large bowel ischemia. So far, so good, really easy. So our focus is gonna be on acute mesenteric ischemia, which is a sudden small intestinal hypoperfusion due most commonly to mesenteric arterial embolism, like 50% of the time, majority of the cases. Second place, distant second, would be mesenteric arterial thrombosis, which occurs 15 to 25% of the time. So remember that embolism is the most common cause of acute mesenteric ischemia. That's why choice C was wrong. Choice C said that thrombosis was the most common cause. So brief relevant anatomy here. So the arterial supply to the intestines is made up of the SMA, superior mesenteric artery, and the IMA, inferior mesenteric artery. We're not going to cover any of the collateral blood supply network. My God, how, how awful would that be? Surgeons actually, uh, fun fact here, this is true, surgeons dream about this the SMA and the IMA and the routes they take. But let's be honest, that's actually when they do get to sleep. <laughs> so the SMA is overwhelmingly the most commonly affected vessel. And that's a board bomb fact, board bomb pearl, board bomb trivia, all the above. And this is because the SMA has a large diameter and a narrow takeoff angle from where it comes off the aorta. And actually, according to one of my good friends, Kenny Loggins, uh, there are two major watershed areas prone to ischemia, otherwise known as the danger zone. And the classic, most commonly tested one is the splenic flexia, which we learned in medical school, really. That's been, been, that's been tested on for years. And it's supplied by some weak little branches of the SMA. Get that weak stuff out of here. So you must remember that the splanchnic circulation that's pretty much at the mercy of systemic vascular resistance. Remember, we have two determinants of blood pressure in our body, mean arterial pressure, and that's cardiac output and SVR, systemic vascular resistance. Normally, the splanchnic circulation, that's all the gut circulation, right, SMA, IMA, it normally receives 10 to 35% of cardiac output, but this is widely you know, widely varies and fluctuates based on physiologic stress, based on the fed or fasted state. And so 
the sympathetic nervous system in times of stress is going to make that even worse. It's going to vasoconstrict the majority of splanchnet circulation, and therefore blood flow is going to go to more quote-unquote vital organs, as they call it, the superior organs, the brain, really mainly the brain. <laughs> brain gets everything. Brain's a weak organ, a bunch of nerds up there. So intestinal blood flow only really has to be reduced, they found in studies, by like 50% from normal fasting level baseline before ischemia can settle in. That's crazy. So couple this with patient's baseline status of atherosclerosis. In high-risk patients, you have a dangerous setup here uh, for intestinal ischemia. So who gets this stuff? Well, we have already hinted at it, right? These are all going to be vascular patients. So anyone with serious atherosclerotic burden, we think advanced age, we think coronary artery disease, we think prior stroke, we think peripheral artery disease. That's a classic one. Any, any prior aortic surgery or any vasculitis. Polyarteritis nodosa would be a classic. Also, any patient that has pathophysiology for throwing clots from their heart, like endocarditis or cardiac arrhythmias or a ventricular aneurysm. I'm purposely trying to pronounce things that they would say in Canada. I'm doing a Canadian accent for those of you not familiar. So presentation. The history is going to be the most important piece of the puzzle here because the physical exam is worthless. The physical exam is poor, the labs are poor, and the CT angiogram of the abdomen and pelvis is great, but it's not that great. So you need to start off with a high index of suspicion, very high. So the most common presenting symptom would be sudden abdominal pain. And, and classically, I love when people teach this because it's like easy to teach, but in real life, you're asking yourself like, what am I going to do with this? Classically, it's quote, abdominal pain out of proportion to the physical exam, end quote. <laughs> I mean, seriously, when I was a resident or a student and someone told me that, I'm like, great, that sounds theoretically cool to teach, but what does that mean for me in real life? That's easier said than done. So this is only seen in about 40% of patients as well. So the whole classic teaching of, oh yeah, just have a high index of suspicion and look for pain out of proportion to physical exam, you're just joking with yourself and you're going to miss it. So the patients vary in their pain thresholds, right? And despite this old adage usually being true about pain out of proportion, inexperienced providers will miss this, right? And if you're not thinking about it, you're going to miss it. So not to mention the majority of these patients are greater than 65 years old, meaning a lot of these patients are more stoic, meaning that their exams are often difficult. A lot of their nerve endings for visceral and parietal pain receptors are not as, what do I say, sharp. And so this is perhaps why mesenteric ischemia is like abominable pain. It's hard to find. It's like the Yeti. So why is there pain out of proportion? Well, I just hinted at it. You know, there's visceral pain fibers from the splanchnic circulation. Remember that visceral innervation is not as specific. It's not as regionally correlative as parietal innervation. So that's where that comes into play. So what about blood in the stool? People often talk about this. What about hematochesia? It's concerning, and it should really raise suspicion for mesenteric ischemia, but absolutely never, just never, never rely on this as a symptom to say, oh, well, they don't have that. It can't be mesenteric ischemia. It's present in less than 50% of patients. Wah, wah. So personal and family history is also very important. Remember to ask about that and the above risk factors. And a history of prior embolization anywhere in the body. So think, any prior embolism to the extremities, any prior stroke, any prior MI, that's a major red flag. That automatically tells you right there that they have some type of atherosclerotic burden somewhere in their body. And that's found in about 33% of these patients. So about 30% of these mesenteric ischemia patients will have a prior history of some type of embolization somewhere in their body. Another thing in the history of the pain after eating, that should be another red flag as this is due to inability to increase blood flow to meet demand. So you're going to have pain with that, ischemic pain. It's kind of like 
angina for the gut. <laughs> it's like eating, right? Uh, I just came up with that, and it sounds kind of cool, actually. So physical exam is very unhelpful here. As usual, the physical exam does not shine, unfortunately. So there is no focal tenderness, and it often can be a completely normal physical exam. Like I said, you might find occult blood in the stool. Absolutely don't trust your guaiac test. That's a whole other podcast topic, but uh, I actually don't do guaiac tests anymore, and I'm pretty happy. Hi, I'm Blake Briggs, and I used to be a prior guaiac user. I was taught to use guaiac. It's been, what, 365 days since my last guaiac test, so... Well, not mine. The last time I did a guaiac test. <laughs> so a complete vascular exam should be performed measuring carotid, radial, femoral, and DP pulses for any concern for other embolism. So I said this above earlier. I'm just going to say it again because I like talking about labs. So in a minority of patients, there can be a nonspecific leukocytosis or a lactic acid elevation or even less commonly metabolic acidosis. These are all late findings, right? So everyone keeps talking about the lactate elevation. This is insane. It's one of my favorite things to debunk on shift when someone's getting a lactate for some ungodly reason for abominable pain. Everyone talks about lactate elevation and its sensitivity is like 86% for acute mesenteric ischemia with a specificity, obviously it's going to be low, it's 44%. But lactates are not going to be elevated until late disease. That study I just said that had the sensitivity of 86%, that's a good number, right? We talked about in the last podcast of pancreatitis having a lipase sensitivity of 86 of like 80 something percent it was 82 percent i think don't quote me but that's pretty good right above 80 percent um yeah but the problem is all those patients had late disease so a, a normal lactate can never ever reliably exclude mesenteric ischemia as a diagnosis i want that to be burned into your brain if you're listening forget what people taught you normal lactate does not reliably exclude the diagnosis of mesenteric ischemia so plain films, as you would imagine, are virtually worthless unless you have an, a, a very unstable patient, right? Un, hemodynamically unstable patient, concern for peritonitis. Sure, shoot a plain film. Um, I honestly just shoot a chest x-ray upright, and you see the free air too as well under the diaphragm, but you can do whatever you want. But plain films, this is the only time you're going to use those, is to look for evaluation of free air, and then you would obviate the need for uh, an emergency consult for surgery for laparotomy. But let's get into the real nuts and bolts here. What's the diagnostic test? And that's going to be a CTA, a CT angiogram of the abdomen and pelvis. This is the best test in the ED. No oral contrast should be given. It's going to obscure the vessels. It is important to specify an angiogram versus regular CT. That's really important here. Angiogram is better than the IV contrast CT. And that's because it dictates what the order of timing that contrast bolus will be. So if you do an angiogram, it's going to be a 20-second timing of the bolus versus 70 seconds for a routine CT with contrast. Uh, that's because they have to do a portal venous phase for the CT with contrast. In general, just make sure you always do that angiogram. It's more accurate. And the CTA has a sensitivity of 93% and a specificity of 96%. Let me repeat that. It is not 100%. You get the CTA and it's negative. Yes, you can be reassured in the majority of cases. But are you done? Maybe not, depending on the patient's concern, right? So what are the specific findings on CTA? Well, they're going to look for focal or segmental bowel thickening, intestinal pneumatosis, you know, air within the intestinal wall, bowel dilation, mesenteric stranding, or organ infarction. I love that last one, organ infarction. It's like, oh yeah, the organ's dead. <laughs> the bowel's dead. So if the CTA is negative, but the suspicion remains high, then you consult surgery, and then you discuss a mesenteric arteriogram. That's getting really into the weeds. And so, like I said, I wouldn't really worry about that step, especially as an EM provider. I just worry about the step of, hey, I'm really worried about mesenteric ischemia. I'm getting the CTA. 
hey, the CTA is negative, but gosh almighty, this is a scary picture. Um, you know, and there may be some nonspecific symptoms on the CTA, and you can always call your radiologist and say, hey, I'm really worried about this one thing. Did you see this one thing? Or I'm looking at this bow right now. It looks funky. What's going on? Funky is a medical term for possible mesenteric ischemia. <laughs> so the first step here is once you find mesenteric ischemia or are really concerned about it, you call a surgeon. And especially those peritoneal signs, they're going to get an X-lap with an open surgical embolectomy. But the second step is while you're waiting for that surgeon, you're doing fluid resuscitation and, of course, hemodynamic monitoring, correcting electrolytes, pain control, and antibiotics, absolutely, with anticoagulation. It's really important to avoid vasoconstrictive agents early on. The reason being, remember that vasopressors are going to reduce splanchnic flow, right? Again, what's the point of vasopressors and catecholaminergic agents? Well, they're going to do what I just talked about earlier. They're sympathomimetic, so therefore they're going to, remember, push blood flow to the vital superior organs, like the brain. we got to cue like symphony music when we talk about the brain. So the big thing is we need to prefer large volume of IV fluids in these cases, if the patient can tolerate it. We understand a lot of our elderly patients or frail patients can't handle that, but we got to do the best we can to uh, make sure that there's a lot in the tank going to the gut and helping that blood flow. So vasopressors are used. Uh, what I've seen in the literature, it's weak, is low-dose milrinone, which sounds like an Italian drug, milrinone, or inotropic agents like dibutamine or dopamine. And they're preferred because they have less effects on mesenteric perfusion. I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of this. Uh, this is not a palmcrit or mcrit podcast. Uh, that is just what's in the literature. You will never be tested on that ever. This is just some discussion about really unstable patients, which hopefully, honestly, should be, be just going straight to the OR. You shouldn't be playing around with these patients uh, with a mini ICU game in your ED. These patients need to go to the OR. It's a surgical problem. The things that you can do in the ED and absolutely should do before they go to the OR is broad spectrum coverage antibiotics. And you want to cover gut bacteria. You want to do Piperacillum, Tazobactam being the preferred option. And that's because of the bowel infarction ischemia can promote bacterial transmigration. Anticoagulation, they need it. The mainstay is unfractionated heparin, and you want to do that to limit thrombus propagation. All right, what's the bad news? These patients are very ill, as we can imagine. Mortality rates exceed 60%. <laughs> it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. So they often stay in the hospital for a month with a poor prognosis, and they're overall still likely to die from an underlying condition that predisposes them. So again, they're vascular patients, so they have vascular problems, and therefore the stress of this condition, subsequent complications while in the hospital is not going to make things better, and so they're likely to die of their underlying medical problems. All right, let's summarize this. Let's turn around and make it some good news here. The good news is I'm going to give you a kick-ass summary here. We only have seven points here to summarize the entire podcast. Are you ready? So acute mesenteric ischemia is the most common cause of intestinal ischemia. The SMA is the most commonly affected vessel in mesenteric ischemia. And the most common location for acute mesenteric ischemia is the watershed area of the splenic flexure. The most common cause of acute mesenteric ischemia is arterial embolism. Labs are not helpful. Lactates cannot reliably exclude mesenteric ischemia. The history is the most important aspect of raising a high suspicion. The physical exam is not very helpful, except for occasional pain out of proportion on exam. A CTA with IV contrast is the best test in the ED. Never use oral contrast. If negative, but you're still concerned, call your surgeon and discuss because the patient might need a mesenteric arteriogram. 
And finally, the mainstay of treatment is an embolectomy. In the ED, we need to emphasize IV crystalloids if hypotensive, anticoagulation, and giving gut antibiotics. All right, that was a perfectly timed podcast. Great topic. That was another bomb delivered. Please remember to go to our website at emborebombs.com, and there you will find amazing things, incredible, life-changing med edutainment stuff. Our airway module, which is turning heads, as always. Our handouts, which number greater than 50 to 60 handouts now. And, of course, our many, many podcasts, which are on Apple, iTunes. And it's really important you drop us an Apple review. Please make it a New Year's resolution. Drop us an Apple review. These reviews really help us. We would greatly appreciate it. Remember, you can find me on Twitter at BlakeBriggsMD. You can also follow our handle at EMBoardBombs. And we're on Instagram, too. And uh, if you are interested in going to the Sasquatch Museum in Blue Ridge, Georgia, feel free to email me. I can help make a reservation that you know it's hard to get a ticket they're like booked years in advance i want people to email me if they end up going you'll learn a lot decorations are uh top notch i think and uh, make sure to get a bumper sticker that says i believe thanks for listening